Welcome to They Live by Film, a platform dedicated to bringing you film discussion and interviews from around the world. I'm Adam Lundy, joined as always by my co-hosts Chris Haskell and Zach Bryant. Hello, hey, gentlemen. We made it a whole year. We made it. We made it. The world didn't want us to, but we did it anyway. 2022 in the books, almost. <laughs> almost almost we are recording this on the 18th of december so any stats and stuff we give you for this year are not necessarily final um a film could come out next week and blow us all out of the water and not destroy all of our top five picks that you hear right now but screw it it is what it is the next two weeks are busy as hell so <laughs> that's what we're gonna do so if you remember the um the 2021 wrap-up episode that we did last year this is basically just a wrap-up segment we're going to talk about uh, some of the favorite films that we watched from this year, some favorite films that we watched are not necessarily from 2022, but we watched during the year. We're going to talk about some pickups. We're going to talk about some of our favorite segments. Um, so yeah, strap in. We're going to just go through all of this kind of piece by piece. Uh, I think first off the bat, guys, we're going to talk about our 2022 watches. Yeah. That sound good. Cool. Anyone, yeah. anyone have a particular want to go first? So are we gonna do? Uh, are we gonna do five all around, four all around, or are we uh, gonna go straight through our list? I, can yeah. I make this easy? Can, I only saw seven movies <laughs> from twenty twenty two. Can I just give my top five, and then I'll let y'all take this segment? Yeah, let's go. Sure. Go, go ahead, Chris. Um, and also, just while we're talking about recording in the future, I've got like a, a thirty second kind of funny story that I'll share. Give everybody a behind the scenes glimpse into how we how we do this. So I'm recording. We're going to have an amazing interview coming out uh, early part of next year with Neon Eagle, which is the new label, which is a, um, a mashup, a super group between uh, Mondo Macabro and Cauldron Films, Uncle Jesse from Diabolic DVD. And um, I, I just kind of was in the zone and I forgot to give them a heads up. And I said, welcome to 2023. And and they paused <laughs> and they said, wait, are we supposed to pretend like we're in the future? they're like are we going to talk about our new years and stuff like what are we doing and so we had to, we had to start over <laughs> that's awesome uh, and anyway so yeah whatever intro you hear is the i think the third take because then i messed up the second one so anyways um but yeah top five 2022 films i saw seven um two of them were cartoons with my five-year-old so these are the five that i saw that were not uh, minions or uh, I don't know whatever else um, so number five was bullet train um, and I couldn't figure out to put that in front of or behind Northmen. to me they were about the same amount of enjoyment um, if I had seen 20 films I don't think either one would make my top five but I saw five <laughs> so bullet train Northman the Batman which I don't know if I'm gonna if this is gonna be controversial but the more I think about it I think that film's kind of awesome and it's it really leans into what it was trying to do i liked it more the more the more i thought about it um that film annoys the crap out of me <laughs> i i get it, it. It's, it did. it's supposed to show it was all about showing batman as being a good detective and he's like the worst detective ever because he just listens to whatever <laughs> crap everyone tells him someone tells him one thing is like oh shit okay that must be true and then someone else tells him another thing and he goes oh shit crap that must be true and just spends the whole movie jumping between different people telling him bullshit. He's like but the world's thumb worst drive detective. Joke was awesome. <laughs> Paul Dano was awesome. I'll give it. Oh, that he much. was. Paul Dano he, was awesome. I want to note on Paul Dano. 
like the thing I was looking forward to. He has to be like the most punched man in cinema history. Somebody <laughs> plays in a Batman movie and doesn't get hit. Like <laughs> what? His face is very punchable, though. <laughs> Just you don't know whether to hug him or punch him. Um, number two, and this is not anything related to because I only saw five films. This movie ruled. Jurassic World Dominion was fantastic. Um, what a fun piece of genre cinema. Like it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, of the joke that um, uh, Brian Usna made. I was listening to the commentary of a movie called Ticks. And, and Brian Usna came in and, as the producer. So he wasn't like a director. He was a producer of it. And he came in, he saw the script and he kind of saw like the mock-up and he was like, okay, I get it. But like, let me see the ticks. And so they, they took him to the special effects room and he was like, what is this? He's like, make them like five times bigger. And then he made up this whole ending where it's like a giant tick. <laughs> and, it's like, <laughs> and it's like that old genre mindset of like, whatever you, whatever's on the poster, like sell the hell out of it. And um, I think Jurassic World Dominion sold it. There's a lot of dinos in that movie. Um, and then number one, I mean, I think everybody will have the same number one because it's the best movie of the last five years. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. So we'll see if that holds true. But I can't imagine any movie being better than that this year. Although I only saw big, massive blockbusters in the theaters. Uh, and so I have not seen the new Chan Park Wook movie, which I am disappointed in myself for not doing that. So anyways, let's let's keep it going. Thanks, y'all, for letting me go first. No worries. Do you want to go next, Zach? Sure, I can go next. Um, so spoiler alert, uh, everything everywhere all at once is not didn't actually it actually just got knocked out of my top ten. So it will not be on no, yeah. no, it's just a mistake. Just look at we should we should say we should say that Zach watches a hell of a lot more twenty twenty two movies than he's probably seen more twenty twenty two movies than me and Chris put together. Uh, oh, I shit. actually just looked it up because I was curious. Uh, I'm at seventy eight for the year. Oh shit! No, I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> well, if you guys oh, want add a, a, a little bit of fun, I can give you my bottom five as well. Oh, please do. Yes, that'd be awesome. So this will be from least worst to absolutely worst. So uh, number five there is going to be Blonde. That is the most pretentious drivel I have seen all year. Uh, I am a massive fan of the assassination of Jesse James by that coward Robert Ford because of how well the director like made really complex characters and put a lot of nuance in it. And then he said, you know what, I'm going to do another biopic and ignore everything that was good about my last one and just make it terrible. So he did a good job there. He was successful. Um, then I watched the cheerleader sleepover slaughter. It's, it's exactly everything it sounds like and not in any fun or good way. The, actually, the, probably the, the most uncomfortable part of that is like any slasher movie, there's a lot of nudity in it. And you almost like, well, at least I can enjoy it for that. Here's the problem with that is it's very ambiguous what age these girls are. So you're like, are they supposed to be in college? Now, the actresses are definitely of age. They're like in their 20s. There's no doubt about that looking at them. But you're like, this looks like a high school field and all this other stuff. And then it just sinks it for you the second you see one girl come out with a national beta shirt. Now, I know, Adam, you're from Ireland. That is a high school thing. Beta oh, as a very much a high school thing. It's not a college thing. So I was like, wow, you could have just made them college kids and at least it would have been a little bit more comfortable while I'm drinking, but thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then it's going to be uh, 365 days this day. I have no idea if that's the third or second one. I, I think it's I think it's the second one. I think I like that one better. Um, terrible, terrible, absolutely awful. Uh, Jeepers Creepers Reborn. 
it, it, it's it's terrible. This movie is so bad. There's a table one of the hills is on. Even that table is CGI'd. Like they couldn't <laughs> even bother to get a real fucking table to throw somebody on and kill them. The whole movie CGI at this point. Um, and then the worst is probably the next 365 days. Both of those movies are really bad. Even when you're drunk, they're they're pretty awful. What are those? Uh, I've never heard of them. They're like uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, they okay. Oh, okay. I yeah. won't subscribe. Uh, I, I, I do think the it, they're based on a book series, um, and they're making a fourth one, and I'm going to watch it because I'm, you know, I might as well see how this fucking ends at this point. But yeah, that's, uh, I would, so it's probably cheating to have two of those in there, but yeah, those, those are my bottom five for sure. Um, and the only one uh, I had to take off the list because it doesn't, I didn't know if it would count. I'm counting it as a 2022 film, but it actually came out in 2020. Uh, in Venezuela, or no, it's Argentina, I'm sorry, called uh, History of the Occult. Uh, it's going to end up on Screenbox. I don't know if it has yet. Please watch it. Great movie. A uh, great little horror film about, like, a government conspiracy um, where these people are watching, like, this this television show where they, almost like a 60 Minutes type thing and all this, like, weird witchcraft occult stuff happens. Really cool movie. Wow. But anyway, I'm going to get to my top five now. <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate the tangent. So uh, for number five, I have the one Chris said wouldn't end up on his top 20, which is The Northman. Uh, big fan of Eggers in general. I, I love his attention to detail with anything like he's done. His all, I, I love all three of his films he's come out with so far. Um, I like Norse stuff. I, I think I, I wish the closest I guess I can come up with like a comparison is like uh, Valhalla Rising. You know, it has mm -hmm. that this really bleak energy to it that it, it has a lot of melancholy to it. I just, I dug it. The, fi the finale is awesome. It happens on a volcano. Uh, I'm going to keep that as spoiler free as I can. It's near a volcano. I'm, I'm going to be for it. Um, number four is uh, Jordan Peele's Nope, um, which is his, also his third film that came out this year. Um, I, I know Get Out gets like all the love when it comes out. Um, I like Get Out a lot. I think it's really good. I thought Us was really disappointing overall. Uh, just, I think it could have used more time in the writing. Nope is his best film. Like, it's it's 100% for me his best movie. Uh, it's essentially his version of Tremors. So I, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, nope is great. It's a lot of fun. Um, really excited to rewatch it here soon. Number three, just got added to the list, is Avatar The Way of Water. Um, I wasn't really shocked. It was actually, uh, Chris, you'll be happy to know it's the movie that knocked everything everywhere all at once out of the top 10 for me. <laughs> so um, I had a, I had a blast uh, with it. I, I'm, I've been excited for it for a while, and it's uh, I'm actually have tickets to see it again tomorrow. Uh, see it in IMAX. That's, that's going to be the best way to do it. Don't waste it on 2D. I, I'm not a big advocate for 3D, but the film is better for it. It's better for the 3D. Uh, it's just great to see a little bit of spectacle that I feel like we don't get a lot in American cinema anymore. Um, I guess the last like true blockbuster in American cinema that I loved and thought was great was uh, Mad Max Fury Road. So this this is probably the best one I've seen since then. Uh, and number two, a non-American blockbuster that was phenomenal was RRR, uh, which I regret not being able to see in theaters. I saw it four times this year. It's fantastic. Um, if you want a good introduction to Bollywood, 
RRR is the way to go. And my number one, which is was it's pretty much been my number one since March, is another one that just has one letter X. Um, good throwback to a slasher film with I think a pretty cool like discussion on like exploitation and art and how those kind of interact and all that uh, and all that using the porn stuff and I, I think it's great uh so that is my final so we'll see how different adams is i think I, I your number one changed all of a sudden so i'm curious at least i think it did from what i'm hearing <laughs> yeah i would have really struggled to do a 2022 list if not for the last 11 days where i've had three films enter my top five um so um it's worked out pretty well the last 11 days of viewing for me um, so my number five, funnily enough, your number one was X. My number five is Pearl. Um, I preferred Pearl to X personally. Uh, amazing character piece. I love the sort of callbacks to the old kind of Joan Crawford dramas from the 40s and the 50s. Really well put together film. I get why people might prefer X. Uh, I just prefer Pearl. It's a bit classier, um, which is a bit more up my street, maybe. <laughs> uh, number four is one of the ones I've just entered. It's uh, Banshees of Inishirin, uh, the the new Martin McDonough film with uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Again, really, and this is kind of a common thread for some of these films in this list, uh, just a really great character piece. Uh, really nice to see an Irish film doing so well kind of everywhere. It seems to be getting a lot of love across the board. I think it was nominated for a good few Golden Globes. It'll probably get nominated for a few Oscars, so that's always nice. Especially with it being a an all Irish cast, a lot of the time when these kind of old Ireland dramas get made, they're made by Americans for Americans with diddly eye accents and all that crap by American actors doing bad Irish accents. <laughs> so it was nice to see a film that's purely Irish. Um, reminded me of another great Irish film by Martin McDonough's brother John uh, Michael McDonough. Um, called Calvary with Brendan Gleeson, which is a, a really fantastic film um, about sort of tackling Ireland's rejection of Catholicism after the abuse scandals and stuff. So really, really great film. It kind of reminded me of that. Banshee's of Minishir and really great character piece. Darkly humorous, but also really, it's, it really hits some, some, dar- some dark notes as well. Uh, my number three, Chris will be happy, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, super yeah. fun film. Incredibly fun film. It's the right level of batshit and emotionally endearing. Um, it just it just has that balance really, really well. Great, ma- Really greatly made film. One of those ones you can just go back and rewatch and still have the same amount of fun every time and pick up new things. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. And then the last two films are ones that I watched in the last week. The second film was my number one film of the year until the film I watched yesterday. So uh, number two is uh, Park Chan-wook's uh, Decision to Leave. Uh, amazing film. It's really well put together. Really tight sort of story that really reminded me of Vertigo in a lot of ways. You know, about a detective who's kind of obsessed with a, a woman who's, you know, kind of har- harboring dark secrets. Uh, really gave me Vertigo vibes. So yeah <laughs> possibly yeah uh, yeah it's a great film the ending absolutely floored me it was literally it was it was my favorite film of the year uh, up until the film i watched yesterday which is a debut feature by a director called charlotte wells called after sun 
um, which similar to Decision to Leave is being distributed here by Mubi, but I think it's being distributed by A24 in North America. Um, Christ, this film, you know, I sat down and watched it. Uh, Neve was going to watch it with me the first couple of minutes. She wasn't really feeling it. She went up upstairs to watch something else. And I came up and I was just like, I am, I am a broken man after this movie. It's just such a poignant, melancholic, just, but also like really sort of sweet and endearing at times. Just look at, um, at, a, at a flawed individual, Paul Meskel, um, which is the Irish actor, which had his breakout in Normal People a TV series came out during uh, a couple of years ago, which I think I talked about on this podcast at some point. Um, but it's just it's a really good portrait of a just a flawed father, you know, a, a father figure who really tries his best, but you know has his own sort of demons that he fights with. And the film is is plainly told from the point of view of his eleven year old daughter as they're on a holiday in Turkey together. So you just have that mix of sort of childhood, sort of idolization of your father, while also sort of picking up nuances that not everything is okay with him as well. Uh, it's a really stunning film honestly it's yeah it's it, I know it might seem silly to have a film I literally saw less than 24 hours ago jumped to number one but it just it floored me I, I what, thought what, decision to leave floored me after sun floored me what's the name of it again Adam sorry uh, after sun after sun okay yeah, yeah I, so I, I... sorry Zach I was, I know, I was just going to say, there's two on yours I know I wish I had been able to get to. I really wanted to get to Decision to Leave, but I have made a rule for myself that I would finally watch The Handmaiden before I watched it. Um, and I haven't done that either. And I really wanted to watch Banshee. It's on HBO Max now because um, Three Billboards, that, that was his previous film, was probably yeah. in my top three for 2017 when it released. And I love all of his films anyway. I just mm. hadn't got around to it yet. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that's why I had made it my business to watch After Sun last night because I had a feeling that I would really like it. I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, but I thought, okay, I'm gonna watch this tonight because you never know, it might sneak into my top five. Um I suppose what was gonna be my fifth? My fifth was probably gonna be probably Top Gun Maverick or or Scream Five, which uh, I know not everybody loved, but I, I loved it. But that's probably because I'm biased because I love the Scream movies. Um, but it would have been either Scream 5 or Top Gun Maverick. Would have been my fifth and everything else would have just moved up a space. Um, but I thought After Sun looks good, looks interesting. I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a watch before we record this episode and I'm glad I did. I mean, you can't feel too bad. My number three was like from a movie I saw two days ago. So it happens. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll give a, I'm just going to give a bonus shout out to a 2022 film. It's a terrible film, awful movie, but it's, it is so, um, it's so hilarious uh, in a way that they obviously did not intend. It is unintentionally hilarious. And that is the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Oh, that movie's great. I love it. I love it's, it. <laughs> it's so bad. It's it's so terrible. Awful, awful movie, but so funny. So unintentionally hilarious. There are moments in that film where I'm like, how did this, how, how did they write this down? Like the part where a, a Gen Zer tells, tells Leatherface he's going to get cancelled before he gets chainsawed. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> And you know, I'd, so you, funny. You see, I'd at least know you'd give it bonus points because I think the movie is like 71 minutes. 
Oh, it's so short. Yeah. Yeah, I watched it on my exercise bike. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hilarious movie. I would highly recommend you watch it, Chris, because it's it's so terrible. But what's great is that all the characters are awful. So you don't feel bad watching them get ripped to shreds. That's one thing with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, they're so brutal, those films. So, like, you know, like you kind of feel bad for some of the characters, what's going to happen to them. I don't feel bad about any of these characters getting <laughs> viciously murdered. And it also has the weirdest message of 2022. Because the main character is shown to have survived a school shooting. So she's, like, wary around guns. But then, like, she just like, uses a gun to mow down Leatherface. So, like, the message is guns are bad unless you're shooting the bad guy. Welcome to Texas, motherfucker. (laughs) Such a such a bizarre, bizarre movie. I would highly recommend watching it. It's just batshit. It is it is insane. Well, I mean, uh, even in like as bad as the TCM franchise is, it's still middle of the road with how bad some (laughs) of them are. Like I think I have a dead middle in my ranking for TCM. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing, Adam. You say you say I should watch it. I will. I'm going through the Hellraiser franchise right now. I'm so sorry. Um I haven't seen you know, anything past the second one. I don't, don't. think I want to. The new one's fine. <laughs> Watch the new one. That's that's the only one I would say. The third one is I was so annoyed with it. It's just so it's horrible. But the fourth one is by the guy that made went on to make the Doctor Strange movies. Uh Doctor uh Scott Derrickson. Yeah, he just oh, did really? yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's it's okay. It's it's probably the most watchable after. Yeah, it's not bad. Like I was yeah. expecting it just this whole another level of terrible. So I'm just about to start with um, Hellseeker, I think it's called. Um, downhill, man. Going downhill for a while. <laughs> well, there's this guy named Rick Boda who directed three. And I think his are, are the ones that are derided so much. So I'm not super looking forward to that. But after that, I'm going to get to the Psycho franchise. And then after that, probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm going to try to watch all of them just because there's a whole bunch of gaps I have. And... Um, like for Psycho, I've only seen the first one, so I just want to try to finally see a lot of these franchises. And I mean, it, it, honestly, Psycho is probably a good one to go to after Hellraiser. That's a really bad franchise that's really, really long to a pretty solid franchise that's really short. <laughs> and I can finish off with the birds. I think there's only two of those, right? Oh my god! And I recommend <laughs> neither of them. <laughs> um. So. Or if we're all good with 2022 releases, want to talk about the sort of best films we saw that you know didn't come out in 2022, just ones that we watched. Yeah, yeah. can we can we have like a like a just a really brief discussion about 2022? Because there was something that I've noticed that I want to see if y'all agree or not. Yeah. Because you know, there's a the 2000s and like the teens. I think although there are great movies made during that time, generally there is like this kind of public outcry that you know theaters were dead and like there wasn't anything original coming out of hollywood and like there's no good movies and blah 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 right um and the the good movies that were coming out in festivals weren't getting distribution and like so i feel like we're kind of coming back from that a little bit like it seems like like just think about the variety of the movies we've talked about just between the three of us i, I don't know it, it feels like we're kind of it feels like this is going back to a period where whether it's between A24 or whether it's, you know, RRR coming in from India and really like doing well, but it just feels like we're kind of in a little bit of an uptick again, as far as like variety and quality and uh, what's coming out into the theaters. Yeah. Like the, the sort of old sort of 
the old sort of studios like you know obviously Fox until their takeover Paramount things like that they've it's kind of shown in the last like five or so years that a film doesn't need to be produced by them to be successful places mm-hmm. like A24 Neon from distribution point of view even movie now in the last couple of years have been distributing a lot of films that have been getting not just numbers and seats in theaters, but also a lot of critical acclaim to go alongside them and then where the mouth spreads and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I'd have to agree um, because of those companies and Blumhouse as well, from a horror point of view, gets yep, a lot yep, of, yep. Get, gets, gets a lot of traction. Um, yeah. A lot of those companies being so successful in the last five or so years has certainly helped um, with this more, um, more varied, sort of theater experience you know i know when a new marvel movie comes out or a new star wars movie comes out or like avatar at the moment like i looked at my local theater listings and it's all avatar you can't see anything else from this week onwards it's all avatar um and i know that can be frustrating um it's certainly frustrating for me because uh neve passed her driving test uh last week so i'm like oh great i can finally go to the theater more often because you know we can drive we don't have to rely on buses and stuff and I'm like, okay, let's see what's on. Oh, it's it's all Avatar. Okay. Um, Which means you so, should go see Avatar. I, I see. I probably might. Uh, I say <laughs> I probably might. I not. I don't have much love. I don't have much care for the first one. But I also haven't seen it since it came out, which was when I was like 15. So, um, but yeah, like I think I, I think we have the the sort of the sort of second tier down studios, so not the old the old guard, but like the likes of you know, Neon, Movie, A24, Blumhouse. I think we have them to thank for this more varied theater experience. Yeah. Well, the big thing that's kind of been a surprise is Disney, you know, I, I God, you think about like 2018, 2019, you sat there and think, how long can they be on top of this mountain? Because, I mean, I think it was 2019, they had seven movies that made over a billion dollars. Fast forward to 2022, they've had zero. And it's it's fascinating to see. Honestly, the stuff that made over a billion this year have kind of been surprising and not so surprising. Number one movie of the year right now is Top Gun Maverick, which was going to make money for Tom Cruise, but I don't think people quite expected the way it was going to make money, and that's yeah, been very yeah. fascinating. I wish I got to see it in theaters. I have not got yeah, to see I, it. And I think word of mouth has a lot to do with that, because Top Gun, you know, it's a famous movie, but it's not the most beloved you know, 80s movie of all time. I'm sure they could have made sequels to a lot of 80s movies, but it wouldn't have made as much money because it was actually good. I think that was the biggest surprise that it's actually good. It's, in my opinion, it's better than the original. Yeah. And you have a lot of people like me who was kind of dragged to it because Nevery likes it. She loved the original. I've watched it a few times with her. She kind of dragged me to see it. I had low expectations. And then I was telling everybody that I saw, go see it while it's in the theater. It's an amazing theater experience. It's one of like the great sort of films to see in a theater with the proper sound and everything like that. So it, it I think I think word of mouth really helped that film a lot because you had people, like I said, like me, who was telling literally everybody the, the weekend after I saw it, there wasn't a single person I met where I said, have you seen the new Top Gun? Oh, you should go see it in the cinema. It's really great. And that would, that would have pushed a, a lot of people who would have normally waited for it to come out in streaming to go and actually see it in the theater and experience it properly. And, and for someone who follows, this is a little bit of a tangent, for someone who follows box office, I find that way more exciting to watch. Like, 
I'll always give credit to Endgame for what it accomplished for its like $1.2 billion worldwide opening weekend. That will probably never be touched mm-hmm. because that is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But there was no excuse for that movie not to make $3 billion. It should have been the first film to do it. That was the most front-loaded movie I've ever seen. So there's so much drop-off the next like month that is you know something like Top Gun. It's going to have a modest opening weekend, but it just sticks around forever. It's the same thing the first Avatar did. It made like on a domestic, it made $77 million and ended up making 11 times that over its lifetime and just domestically. That's awesome. So for someone who likes the box office stuff, I think that's way more interesting to watch than oh, tons of money all in and now it's gone. Mar- Disney's kind of famous for that. They, they, can, they can get an opening weekend. They can get people to sit in the theater the first week, but it lives and dies by that first week too. So I think that's kind of catching up with them as well. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I haven't even seen the new Black Panther film and I'm someone who's there the first week of every you know, Marvel release, and I haven't even seen the new Black Panther film. Yeah, it was very disappointing. It didn't come anywhere close to a billion. Like, nowhere. Like, Doctor Strange 2 made more money, and people hated that one. I liked it, but people hated it. I liked it as well. And I've heard heard good things about Black Panther. I liked the first one a lot. Um, It's just I'm kind of burnt out on Marvel, which I I didn't think it would happen, but it did happen. I'm I'm just kind of burnt out with it. But this is the problem, right? I think if I've I know I've kind of been like back and forth on, on Marvel movies. I've been a little hard on them, but I still watch every single one. Like I, and I, and I, it, I appreciate what they're doing um, from the perspective of giving like Taika Waititi a chance to direct a blockbuster. It turns out he's pretty good at it. James Gunn a chance to direct a blockbuster. Like it's cool. Like I, I, I like kind of what they're doing. Phase four has been probably the least creative in terms of like, you know, they've taken some chances with like, you know, some of the Eternals or whatever, but it, the movies have not been rated as high. There's not an obvious thread tying them all together in the same way that it was done previously, or it's very loose. And I think that's a bad combination because in the, by the fourth phase, there's probably going to be a little bit of fatigue on a franchise anyways. And now they're, they're having the least what's perceived as whether or not it's true, but what's perceived as the least creative phase in the fourth phase. And so I think by now you're getting like, you know, people are sort of saying, well, what's, what's going on? Like, I don't even understand where this is going. Like, there's not that big event that it's building up to like the Avengers or like Thanos, see, you know, this is the thing. This is the thing that a lot of people were worried about when they started making the Disney plus shows. There is a thread, okay. yeah. but you wouldn't know about it unless you were watching the shows as well. And so there, are, there actually is a thread, but you're, we're now alienating people like Chris who only sees the movies. By having those threads start and move through this TV series, you're actually uh, missing out on crucial bits of information. Yeah, that's and exactly what's happening. The the problem, this is kind of the, going to the TV shows, that I think has also hurt it, not in the sense of like storyline or anything, but like Avengers always used to feel like an event film. Like mm-hmm. go to the cinema to see this. And I think like, the TV shows almost take away that sense of spectacle because yeah. I think it kind of opens the veil. That's like, you've been watching a long running TV show for 15 years. It's just been in the cinema um, because how different are they at this point? I think, I think it makes a difference to some people. Like I, I don't feel like they're as big of events now that it's like, Oh, well I can watch all this on Disney plus. And you know, of course they all come to Disney plus very quickly now. I don't know. I think it's taken away a little bit of that event feel 
that they that kind of ended i think with endgame like as much as i like uh doctor strange too it didn't feel like an event thor didn't the new thor didn't feel like an event and uh, black panther didn't feel like an event like they just i don't know that sense is kind of gone for me even if i've never been the biggest marvel guy civil war endgame infinity war the first even even ultron which people didn't like they still felt like an event to go to yeah Right, we better move on. Uh, enough Marvel bashing <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now. Um, I suppose we'll go backwards now through the other films, will we? If I want me to start with my favorite watches of 2022 that weren't released in 2022? Sure. Okay, so yeah, so number five for me uh, was Raging Bull, uh, Martin Scorsese flick. Um, I started sort of semi-slowly trying to sort of see the Scorsese films that I haven't seen. Um, I say started slowly, this might be the only one I've, I've watched. Um, <laughs> but I've already, I'd already seen a good chunk of his films before anyway. Uh, but Raging Bull was fantastic. Uh, exceptionally well-made film. De Niro is amazing in it. And I just love, I love the boxing scenes. They're so, I, I just, yeah, just the style he used for the boxing scenes kind of making it sort of um, time appropriate for when it's set, just in terms of how the camera is situated and how it looks. Boxing scenes and are, are amazing in that film, and obviously, like I said, De Niro is fantastic. Um, number four is a film I watched quite early in the in in the um, in the year for the Criterion Challenge, um, and it's the Jean Renoir film Tony. Um, I'm a big Renoir fan anyway. Um, Grand Illusion. It's probably my favorite film by him, but honestly, this film comes like super close. Uh, it's a really incredible watch because it came out in 1935, but it feels 15 years ahead of its time um, in terms of how it uses the camera. It's super similar to like Italian neorealism, which was still another, you know, 10 years away at this stage. Um, and it feels really influential on the new wave as well, just in terms of how it's cut together and stuff like that so when you watch it you genuinely would not think it's from 1935 it feels at least 15 years uh older than what it should be so it's a really revolutionary film but also really enjoyable as a as an interesting story um and yeah Jean Renoir rules he's awesome he's one of the the greats of all time and I feel like he kind of gets underrated these days um you know we talk about a lot of directors especially a lot of French ones from the 50s and the 60s, but a lot of them wouldn't exist without Renoir. You know, he's he's the godfather of French cinema. Um, number three was the Luis Buñuel film Los Alvidados, or The Young and the Damned, which is an amazing, again, sort of neorealist film set in Mexico um, in this really poor district and just about the lives of these people living in these poor district uh, in Mexico. Amazing film, really well put together. I hope and pray in 2023 that it gets a remaster and gets a Blu-ray release because, um, well, it already has a remaster by uh, Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Foundation, which I was very surprised when I was I was reading a list of films that that the foundation had funded remasterings for, and that was on there. So I'm like, it's it's on here. Why is nobody releasing this? And I can only assume. It's it's down to rights or something like that from a distribution point of view. There must be some kind of issues uh, over didn't ownership. We, didn't we get a wink and a nod that 
that's coming out next year from a, a beloved label? We did. Well, we, we got a wink and a nod that they were trying to work on it, but they were having issues with, with the rights holders. Um, so we'll have to see. It's still, it's probably my most wanted film in any in, in any format, really. I had to watch a crappy rip on YouTube, and even that was phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope for a release uh, for that in 2023. Um, my number two was, a, again, a, a, a film that was long awaited. It's uh, Chess of the Wind, uh, the Iranian film, which I expected to be like a quiet family drama. It's not. It's Hitchcock in Iran is the best way to put it. It's a great film. Uh, movie released it here uh, earlier in the year. Uh, I think it's included in the most recent world cinema box set on Criterion. So it might end up on the Criterion channel maybe sometime next year. I know a lot of the films and those box sets end up on the channel. Um, so if it does, I'd highly recommend checking it out if you do see it show up there. Uh, really, really great film. Uh, really biting social commentary. Really well made. Uh, and a really inter- interesting sort of uh, sort of thriller story. Uh, like I said, it's kind of like a, like a Hitchcock or like a, it's probably closer actually to uh, Les Diaboliques. Um, in terms of like the actual storyline itself. So yeah, I would definitely recommend that. And then the number one, which I think genuinely, it took me so long to watch it. I've had it on my shelf for about two or three years and I never got around to watching it because I I expected it to be a little sort of stuffy or overlong or whatever. Um, But it is genuinely one of the best films ever made. And that is Harakiri. Um, This film is just nuts. It's so engaging, so engrossing. You wouldn't think a film about a samurai asking to commit, you know, suicide would be interesting. It's amazing. the The fight scenes that happen in it are incredible. Um, the main actor, which his name is escaping me, is the same guy who was. Um, uh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna just look up his name just so I can actually give it to you because you would you would recognize his name. He's been in some Kurosawa films as well. Army uh, Hammer. No, not quite. Uh, <laughs> Close. I think you're on the right track. Uh, it's a Tatsuya Nakadai. Um, he's the he's in he's in loads of Kurosawa films like Yojimbo, Ran, Seven Samurai. He's just as frequent in Kurosawa films as Mifune. Um, but he's the he's the main character in in this film, and he's he's amazing. Uh, like I said, it's genuinely one of the best films ever made. I don't know how it doesn't end up more highly ranked on this, like, you know, they shoot pictures and sight and sound and stuff because it just blew me away. If there's one film I recommend, to, especially to you, Chris, who does like, you know, Kurosawa films, uh, highly recommend Harakiri. Oh, uh, this guy. Yeah, he always plays that, like, stoic kind of... Um... Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he's the he's like the the opposite number samurai in yojimbo yeah um so he's the one who fights mifune um yeah he's the main character in this and he's yeah incredible it's just an incredible film it's so well made um the tracking shots in it are phenomenal it's just the framing in general is just amazing the mason cn cinematography literally everything about this film is a is a knockout it is like i said genuinely one of the best films ever made Highly, highly recommend it. Awesome. What about you, Zach? All right. So uh, let's see. Let me pull up my list. Okay. So um, the five I did, 
I'd probably relook at the list now and it would be completely different, but I'm going to go with the five I came up with this week. So number five, I have a 20, I think it's 2018 film called Prospect. Um, it was released by Gunpowder and Sky. Uh, Chris was nice enough to sell me his Gunpowder and Sky and I got to watch it there. Really lo-fi sci-fi. Yeah, You can tell it's not a huge budget, but the creativity with it is like really phenomenal. Um, Pedro Pascal, who's one of my favorite actors working today he does a great job and you know he everyone will bring up mandalorian when he uh ends up with the last of us but if you want to see the <laughs> the best of the thing he's done where he's played a father figure to someone who's not his kid prospects a really good one he's a very interesting character uh brings a lot of depth to it um highly recommend if you're into that sort of thing where if you want the low budget sci-fi it's probably one of the better ones i've seen in a while um number four i'm gonna go with uh god told me to which is a larry cohen film i saw i did, actually thought i saw this last year but i saw it was like the saw this like the fourth day of the year so it got to slip in real quick uh probably my favorite larry cohen film now it's it's very fascinating i would say as far as like the closest art to artsy larry cohen ever got is probably god told me to but you know it's still got his fair share of genre defining stuff it's 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 a lot of fun it's I don't quite know what the end means, but hey, it's it's kind of fun to think about. Um, and I think Blue Underground, yes, Blue Underground put out a 4K earlier this year. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but I'm sure it looks great. Um, number three, I'm going to go with Extreme Prejudice, uh, Walter Hill film that is essentially The Wild Bunch. Um, not as good as The Wild Bunch. Very few things are, but it's still a lot of fun. It's got a great cast. It's got like um, Powers Booth. It's got Clancy Brown. Um, really high power cast for it, and uh, it, if you're looking for a, a an '80s version of the Wild Bunch set in the modern day, at least modern day of the '80s, it's going to be hard to really beat that. Uh, number two is Fish and Cat by that director whose name I can't say. Is it Shahram Mukri? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. It was the first film of his I got to watch. It was probably the reason I bought that set from Deaf Crocodile. Um. It is a slasher movie without any of the slasher elements. Uh, it's it's almost like this deconstruction of the genre. I talked about it a little bit. I won't go too far because I talked about it in depth on the modern slashers um, episode we did earlier this year. But really fascinating movie of a one take. I'm not a huge fan of one take cinema. I think it's uh, masturbatory in a lot of sense. Um, and it's just not needed. It's just a way to brag. I, I've But I think in Fish and Cat, it works so uniquely and so well because it's not only a one take, it's a one take with the added element that it's nonlinear. And the way he goes about that makes it so fascinating. And, you know, there's, pro there's probably a lot of discussion about why he chooses to do it this way, but I think it does tie in well to what goes on within the film uh, about these, you know, kids who are camping at for a kike festival. And there's obviously some devious people who are cooks out in the woods apparently based on partially a true story uh great film seriously i would i need to see it to sit down and watch his other two his film invasion is a i guess you'd call like an alien vampire type movie uh, which is set in a similar way but fish and cat to me is uh, maybe it's because i saw it first but it's 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 great uh, and then my number one is another one I saw in January that I thought was last year, but got to sneak in was Anibaba. 
probably a super influential horror that has just kind of passed me by for a long time. Um, Cause I just, I, you know, I bought the Criterion a while ago and never got around to it. I bought that one and his other one. Current Echo, What's... is it? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. They're both um, amazing. I'd ra- if you, ha- if you haven't seen Current Echo yet, definitely get to it. It's... I did watch it. I, I need to sit down and watch it again. I don't think I was in the right mood for it because I liked it, but I wasn't like, I, I you know, I had, I watched it right after Ani Baba, and I'm just like, doesn't quite reach it for me. Yeah, they're two very different films. Ani Baba is, is much more, um, much more sort of paranoid, um, but sort of suffocating. Whereas Current Echo makes great use of lighting and staging and stuff. There's there's some incredible sort of lighting and camera work in Current Echo. Uh, they're both pretty even for me. Um, both great films, so. Yeah, and it's fascinating how much that mask has been used in horror. Like, The Exorcist yeah. is probably a big one. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny watching it now and then watching all these different, like, horror movies for decades past, and you're like, they like Baba, so that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I would I'd definitely put that as my number one. It's definitely one that's in my, like, top 100. So, uh, yeah, that's my top five for the year. What about you, Chris? No, I'm just picking up on some trends. So we've had a Japanese film and an Iranian film so far um as well as some some ones that make sense of how we individually like it i wonder if i can keep that trend up um for me it's just really three films it's taboo one two and three. Oh well i'm <laughs> glad i'm glad you just got those in at the very end of the year yeah um uh no uh let's see so i have a uh i'm gonna keep up the trend you know it's funny you talk about mokri i um I almost put his first film, Ashkan, in. So I'm just going to talk about it briefly as a, um, as maybe it would be like a number six or seven. Uh, but it's, do you remember like kind of the feeling you had when, when y'all first saw like Memento or maybe Pulp Fiction where you have to watch the whole movie to understand the timelines and how the stories kind of come together? Um, yeah. It, it has that exact vibe. Like, you watch it in the beginning. It, I mean, you know, it's low, lower budget. Um, it's, it's quieter, I would say, than those. But it's the exact same vibe where in the beginning, you're, you're just like, what's going on? And who are these characters? And the character named Ashkan doesn't come up until like an hour in. Um, and his storyline is the one that winds up tying all the threads together. Um, but it jumps around time in very creative ways. Really cool film. Uh, the next one for me is um, Fish and Cat. So I... It made me extremely excited to see him, but um, only reason it didn't finish in the top five is for the for the first time this year I saw Taste of Cherry. Um, so staying in Iran for a minute, uh, just I, yeah, you, you know I, I I I tend to like slow cinema I think more than more than I'm always surprised by it. Um, and I don't know if Taste of Cherry necessarily qualifies for slow cinema, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's action packed, um, but I just the way that Kristami writes, I just I, I don't know that I, I've I've ever just sat down and been drawn in by a script. Um, and the performances in his movie are always good, but it's it's the script, you know, and the shots and the setting, and it's it's the filmmaking truly. I think more than the actors in his movies. And uh, Taste of Cherry, I thought about for a long time after it ended. Um, what an amazing movie. 
I had never seen, I thought I had, but I had never seen Amadeus before. Have y'all seen it? Yeah, I saw it in high school. I think I, yeah. yeah, I think I watched it in school as well, in music class, something like that. Yeah, so I won't be able to remember anything about it. Oh, yeah. Somewhere over there, I just can't remember where it's at. I kind of avoided it because I, I'm not a huge fan of historical biopics anyways. Like, I didn't like um, A Night to Remember in Titanic because the whole time I was just like, yeah, I know the story, like oh no rich people or like poor people or yeah okay but like but this one it lives up to all the reputation like it is amazing and the way the person they chose for them to play amadeus was um some one of the characters in the uh, revenge of the nerds movies and so he's like this comedian by background and it's the perfect choice because amadeus wasn't this stuffy elitist type like he was a rebel and he was goofy and he was like, you know, like he was a, a, an asshole and like, it, it was just the perfect casting choice. I loved it. Um, couldn't, couldn't love that movie more. I'm going to cheat slightly. So I apologize. I saw three musicals in, uh, in the year that I couldn't really separate. So young girls of Rochefort, uh, red shoes and Le million are the three. I'm going to group under the, my favorite musicals of the year. Um, all loved for different reasons, but um, we don't talk about Rene Claire. He's another one we don't talk about probably uh, as much as as other directors. Um, but Le Million is amazing. Like if it was, well, I don't know if it was released today. That's probably not true. I mean, it's it's fully a movie from 1931 or whatever. But it's very very good. Highly entertaining. Great music. Um, yeah, really good. Um, I saw Goodfellas for the first time. I was surprised. I sworn I had seen that. First time. Yeah. Whoa, that's pretty crazy. um, I I was debating whether to put Last Temptation of Christ in the top five, but I had seen that before. But um, yeah, good. I think Goodfellas is. I like it more than The Godfather for sure. Like I like the characters better. I think the stakes are higher. I just it's Joe Pesci is. I I understand why he's famous now. I never quite got it. Like. He always you just didn't get it with my cousin Vinny. That's his best role. Yeah, he was okay in it, but I think Goodfellas, he was just like, he was so magnetic on the screen. Like, every, like he's such a psychopath. Uh, I, I just think he was, I don't know. Ray Liotta was great. I, my favorite thing about Goodfellas, I, I won't go into like a big dissection, but the way that laughter is used in that movie is unbelievable because every time they laugh and they laugh like super hard there's a story being told just in the way that they're laughing i know it sounds weird but i like damn that movie's good yeah Uh, one of the all-time best films ever yeah um so to me it earns the reputation unlike something which will go into my least favorite film here was when we when we shift uh, topics in in a moment but um number one for me i just saw it and it's you mentioned uh adam you mentioned uh, something along the lines of the film has no no business being as good as it is or, or maybe that was the way that i heard what you said when you were talking about one of yours but uh there, there's a movie called ordet from dryer um and i wasn't a huge fan of day of wrath uh when i saw it so i was like okay i needed to see more of these like there's a trilogy that Criterion released of like plays that Dreyer then adapted into film. 
and Ordette was the second one in that trilogy. Um, and it doesn't sound like it should be good. Like it's just two families basically bickering over different versions of the Christian faith. Um, and then there's a, there's a moment in the movie where there's um, one of the, the, there's a woman who's pregnant and she goes into, she has complications in the delivery and it shows the hypocrisy of everything they've set up to that point. And it highlights like the way that people talk about faith and, and how it's personal to them versus truly miracles and, and, and the way that it's supposed to be like in their minds, the way that faith looks versus the reality of, of how it actually um, plays out when, when the stakes get high. And it's just, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't, it's, it's so good. Like it's perfect, I think. And, and the way that the characters are set up is entertaining enough to kind of keep the attention. And then when it gets to the big, the third act and everything starts to fall apart, it's just handled masterfully. So I, I it blew me away. So yeah, those are my top five. Yeah, and then I'll be getting to Ordet in the new year as I make my way towards finalizing the sight and sound uh, list. Mm. Uh, Dreyer, Dreyer is a great director. Um, despite his name, his films are not dry at all, as <laughs> as, as you might assume. Um, he makes really, really great films. Um, I'm disappointed you didn't, you didn't like Day of, Wrath, Day of Wrath as much. Maybe on a rewatch, you might enjoy it a little bit more. I think that film is phenomenal. Um, but yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a great director. Probably, again, like like Renoir, doesn't get as much clout as he should. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, we saw well, we saw a Vampire with the film the film club, right? Yes. So that's yeah. two drier films we did. We watched with the film club this year, Vampire and, uh, and Day of Wrath. Yeah, Vampire was just... I mean, I, now that I think about it, maybe that could make my top five too. I mean, I don't know. Like, there's... Everything he touches is is gold. I mean, Joan of Arc. I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. I just that film absolutely blew me away. Yeah, um, fantastic film. It's just the camera angles that are so alien. Even now, yeah. like it's it's nearly a hundred years since it came out, and the camera angles he uses are just insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you cool. you brought up Renoir, I think, as like the guy that's influential but doesn't get talked about as much. But this is Dreyer's right up there, right? Yeah, for sure. Like I think they're two. They're, they're two of the sort of godfathers of cinema that people kind of forget are as influential as they actually are. Yeah. Um, they influence the guys who became influential is probably yes. the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I suppose speaking of Vampire, I can actually segue pretty easily into favorite pickups of the year if you want to jump straight in there. Yeah, sure. So. Cool. So yeah, uh, Vampire was one of the pickups. Uh, a, f- a couple of mine, one of the two of mine, uh, were released by uh, Eureka, uh, which is a, a label I've I've been advocating uh, for many years uh, for us Region B collectors. If you're someone who's frustrated that you don't get as many Criterions as Region A does, then Eureka should be your backup plan because they put out amazing films. Uh, in amazing packaging with some great special features. Uh, Vampire was one of their special releases that they did this year. Uh, came in a nice hefty box uh, with some with some really great bonus features. Um, the other pickup I got from Eureka, which I talked about in the last episode of the podcast, was their 4K release of uh, Dr. Caligari. Not going to go, go too deep into it because obviously I've already, I, I spoke about it a couple of times now in the last few months. Um, but Again, beautiful packaging. It's great that they're releasing 4K now. I hope they start doing it uh, very often. 
uh, especially with, with older films. Uh, once again, their packaging is always 10 out of 10. I love the fact that they use a thicker cardboard for their digipacks, not that tin flimsy stuff that a lot of other uh, companies use. Uh, I never have to worry about it getting broken um, if I'm moving stuff around. Um, I know it's always going to be nice and intact. Um, another pickup was one I got from Criterion, and this is less about the features and stuff, and just more being happy that it exists on Blu-ray now in a in you know in a remaster. Uh, Lost Highway, of course, um, it's a film that I've loved for a long time, that I've been I've been wanting a really good release for for a long time. So I'm glad we finally have it. Um, obviously, at the time of recording. Inland Empire was just announced as well. So we're getting ever closer to the David Lynch box set uh, that Criterion may put out at some point. But uh, I'm glad that we have Lost Highway. It's it, it's probably his most undervalued film apart from maybe The Straight Story. Um, I really, really loved it. Whenever I've watched it, it's been about five years since I've seen it. I haven't gotten a chance to sit down and watch the Blu-ray because I only just got it a couple of weeks back. Um but I'm glad it. I'm glad it exists. I'm glad we. I can have it in my hands. Uh, the other, another pickup I'm really happy about is another 4K, uh, which is the 4K release of Citizen Kane, not by Criterion, the one that came out in Region B. Um, beautiful restoration. I watched it recently, and it was just. I was stunned. Um, by how good it looked. Uh, it's obviously a phenomenal film. It's famous for a reason. I don't need to talk your ear off about why Citizen Kane is good we all know it's good um, but yeah the restoration was phenomenal has some really nice extras again some nice packaging um, I know that the Criterion release packaging cover whatever artwork is very controversial I, hap I, I happen to like the big K um, I think I actually prefer it to Orson Welles' face which is what the packaging that I have for, for this release um, but yeah it's, it's really nice really nice release all, all around and then my last one is, uh, again, something I talked about fairly recently as a pickup. And it's just, this this goes to something I've mentioned a lot of times about why boutique Blu-ray companies are so important and so vital. Um, because they give allowance for films to get really nice releases that would never, ever get nice releases in, in normal circumstances. So um, the one I'm talking about is Ghostwatch, uh, which was a, a BBC sort of mockumentary that came out in the 90s that has never been shown on BBC ever again. But it gets this nice, chunky Blu-ray special edition and hard cardboard and a booklet and loads of special features. And it's just great that this industry exists we're very blessed as film lovers that pretty much any film, if the rights can be gotten to it, pretty much any film could have a really, really nice release to sell on your shelf. Uh, you know, as opposed to 20 years ago where you're lucky to get any special editions, even for the, even for the biggest films, yeah. you know, you're lucky to get anything close to this, whereas now pretty much anything can get a really nice special edition. Um, so I, I love that. I love that about this industry and I hope it, I hope it continues. I hope the bubble doesn't burst um there's obviously more and more companies popping up every year um which you know we know about more than anyone because we we end up talking to pretty much all the new ones as they pop up mm -hmm. um which is great to see uh so yeah long may it continue um hopefully then we'll just get to discover more and more films as as time goes on that would have been lost to time otherwise there's 
there's a million examples of what you're talking about, but can I just, just sharing kind of a funny story. I, I, the, the next one up in my queue that I'm going to watch tonight is a three disc limited edition of a Swedish horror film called evil ed um, that includes the, the normal cut or the original cut plus a 99 minute um, special cut plus a three hour making of documentary. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I mean, for every for every Citizen K release that comes out, which, like you said, may or may not have got the special treatment on like a 50th anniversary or 100th anniversary or whatever. Um, all of a sudden, we're getting that same treatment for Evil Ed. And I just I don't know, it makes me smile. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Like I would never watch 99% of the films that get these limited editions from crazy companies. But I'm still glad that they exist. Um, you know, with the taboo films you talked about before are Bat Pussy. You know, these are films I would never ever watch, but I'm well, happy for it, people. Watch it. I don't. I don't think I will. Um, but I'm happy for people who do like to watch them that they get to have these amazing special editions of these insane films. I won't defend the taboo films, but I cannot stand for bad pussy slander on this podcast. That is the funniest movie ever. I, I, I don't know that I've ever laughed so hard. And um, Zach, have you seen it yet? No, I have not. Okay. All right. So on One the day. Arrow Player, I can literally watch it any time I want because it's on the Arrow Player as part of their Agfa collaboration. Just make sure your parents are at home and turn the volume way up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, go ahead. What about you, Zach? What did you pick up? Um, you know, it's always tough to remember what you actually bought like throughout the year. So I don't know if these are necessarily definitely my favorites, but they they would be in a top ten regardless. So, um. Uh, for uh, one of the ones I got, um, I'll I'll kind of put it at the bottom, mostly because it's the issue that it has a really cool packaging idea, but in execution, it's really really flawed, which might sum up the show pretty well. Which is uh, the Twin Peaks A to Z complete collection. I appreciate I so much about it. Yeah, it's it, the packaging. I like the idea of the packaging. I just don't think they actually tested the packaging before they threw it out there. Mine is mine is destroyed. My my box is literally ripped to shreds. It doesn't even close properly. It's really it yeah. So it's it was such a shit show. Like yeah, the company I, mean, I bought it from even refunded me half my order because it was so bad. <laughs> they couldn't replace it because it was on sale and it sold out. So they just offered to refund me half of it because I'd sent them pictures. Yeah, and I mean, mine had a little damage, but it was nothing I couldn't fix when it came in. So I got I got a bit luckier than you did. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's definitely had like some ideas that were really cool. And you know, I love having the first episode on 4K. I'm glad to have it. I wish they had done it slightly different, but I'm going to put that in my top because it's Twin Peaks. So, um, my uh, my number four, I will uh, go with. A movie I already had, but of course, you know, in the nature of this, we're going to keep rebuying stuff as long as they keep coming out. Uh, I had a standard edition from Mondo Vision for Possession, which is probably, which not even probably, it is a top 10 film for me. And it really, really ate at me for like two years that I didn't have the really nice one. Mm. So I went out and got it and it's great packaging. Uh, it made me actually want to go through all of Mondo Vision's like really special edition stuff just really put well put together box with like a velvet slip and everything else. Uh, just a really cool one. Um, and then we'll go with BFI. Uh, I don't own a lot of BFI. I think this was the 
third, third thing, because I have the Devil's DVD. I, I won't rant about that. And then uh, the Herner Wars, Werner Herzog collection they did, which is fine. It's kind of a thin one. But they put out the Proposition this year on 4K, uh, which looks really phenomenal. I haven't got to watch the whole film from beginning to end again, but I did get to, I did look at it. And it's fascinating how you don't realize how bad a Blu-ray transfer is until a company actually takes care of it. And you're like, oh, this is the way it was actually supposed to look. This looks so much better. Uh, great packaging, awesome special effects. Uh, I got it at Orbit DVD. Uh, if anyone's in the area, I really recommend them. They, you know, order from their site, of course, but their their actual store is great too. Um, and then uh, something that I, I have a weakness for big box sets, ones that won't even fit on my shelf because I don't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. um, and this year was the 50th anniversary of the very first Godfather film. So they put out the big humongous, like triple box set for that, for all three films. And unlike Goodfellas, it actually deserves a big box set like that. <laughs> uh, but as really cool prints, um, really well put together, especially from a studio release. Like we, we talk a lot about boutiques and for a good reason, they're the ones putting most of the work into this stuff. But Paramount, they care about it, and they show that maybe they don't always put out the best stuff, but they, they put a lot of work into the Godfather set, and it really, really shows. Um, and definitely my number one was something I got at the very beginning of the year in January, which is a Black Baron, Baron one-click uh, premium steelbook set of uh, Dr. Sleep. I don't need that movie three times, but I have it, and I'm glad I have it. It's a cool box set. I ended up buying it, all, all the pieces separately, because... It was so much cheaper than trying to buy that on eBay as one item, but they may not have matching numbers on like what edition it is, but I'm I'm not going to cry over it. Really cool. Probably it's going to be hard to probably ever beat that for me. It's probably one of my favorite releases I'll ever have, but yeah, just, just a neat set. And uh, as much as I'd like to get into premiums, I'd never be able to afford it like full time. What about you, Chris? What did you, what are your five for the year? Yeah, Zach, kind of like you, I um, it, it's difficult for me to say these are like the favorite uh, pickups from the year because, you know, there's a funny thing happening, I think, in boutique right now where if you look five years back, uh, even may maybe even longer, you know, they would find movies that studios would most likely not release and then put it out and do a lot of crazy packaging and marketing to try to make it sound like it was an amazing movie when, you know, when it was first released. The reality is like it just wasn't loved <laughs> um, uh, or, or or maybe it's like an obscure thing that they found that had never been released before. There's always an angle to it. But I mean, when you're getting Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 put out by Vinegar Syndrome or next year we have a medieval horror coming out from them, right? Like you're getting, you're, you're moving more and more into the territory of like, it's just whatever movie these companies like um it, it almost benefits them in a way that the studios aren't putting as much care into into physical releases because now they're the options of what they can put out are, are more broad and like between arrow and arrow putting out i mean God, they're, they're, every single month it feels like they put out something that was pretty significant in the theaters um and then severin vinegar syndrome so and then criterion's putting out a lot of modern stuff that's popular so <clears throat> Uh, yeah, I love it. I can't. I can't wait to see what the future brings. Um, 
the pricing came out for this subscription for vinegar syndrome next year. So it looks like it's going to be 980 um, for the year. And the crazy thing is they're going to have nine releases just in January alone. Um, yeah, yeah I feel like they worked real hard to try to keep that under a thousand. Like I know that's probably something they don't want to do. Yeah. It gets to be, if you want, if you live international, I think it goes up to 1100, but that's because they offer free shipping. Um, so I'm sure they had to figure out a cost, a way to cover that cost. But um, <clears throat> okay, so anyways, I'm gonna do this and um, there's one, two, three, four, five. The first one is uh, probably the label that is getting a lot of love right now. And I think rightfully so. Um, I could have probably chosen any release from Def Crocodile but I went with the Chakra Mokri box set because to me, that is like a great example of what Deaf Crocodile is trying to do. Like they're going to every corner of the world and they're leaning on Dennis's like encyclopedic knowledge of film and Craig's uh, passion for restoration uh, of these films. And they're, they're putting it together. Um, you know, I could have easily put Solomon King in this list because the story behind the restoration is just amazing. Uh, but yeah, the the time bending mysteries of Shahram Mokri uh, for me is one. Um, I want to stay with uh, partner labels for a while because the film that surprised me the most this year was from a VHS hit festival companies. It's called the Corn Shucker. Um, and you know when we talk about these boutique companies putting out movies that wouldn't otherwise be seen, I mean this was like in the in the deep in the you know dark corners of VHS hobbyists that kind of talked about this wild regional movie called Corn Shucker. And it's, it's great. <laughs> like it's really good. Um, no business being as good as it is. It was shot for like a hundred bucks. I mean, I don't know the actual budget, but the budget was tiny, but they just, the way they did it, they spent the entire budget on getting a, a professional cinematographer and it kind of shows like the movie's really good and uh, really crazy. Kind of has a David, David Lynch feel and it's just awesome. Um, the, the packaging alone for thriller, a cruel picture gets it on my list. Um, it's a cool movie. Uh, well, I don't know if that's probably the, not the best word to use. Uh, it's a very interesting movie <laughs> and uh, it's a really well-made revenge film, but man, like the care that went into this package from vinegar syndrome, is just phenomenal. Um, they, they include the, Thriller, a cool picture, and they include the color one eye. Um, uh, and it's just, yeah, you couldn't possibly have a more like definitive edition of this film with historical context and everything. Um, I want to mention imprints getting a little heat right now because their parent company, Via Vision. Uh, have you all heard that what went on with that Saw box set that they released? So it was like all of the saw films uh, in a in a case that looked like a bear claw uh, or bear trap. So like it could, you know, like one of those bear traps like clamps down on your feet. But unfortunately the design, the design looked awesome, but unfortunately the actual materials they used were cheap. And so a lot of them that shipped international broke and um, they did the worst thing that you could do, which is they've gone silent on people. So as of, there was another, Instagram video posted about it today where they haven't heard back from them in like two weeks. So I hope they fix that because Imprint's a cool company. Um, I wouldn't want their reputation to be damaged by what their parents doing in Via Vision. 
but um, the Wicker Man box set I want to highlight because you talk about definitive editions. This is just, I mean, it's a it's a great movie, anyways. I'm I'm not talking about the Nick Cage one. Um, the uh, the original Wicker Man uh, is a wonderful movie, um, but they they put out two or three different versions of the film um, with a soundtrack, a separate disc that's the soundtrack plus chock full of special features uh, and obviously commentaries and just the full background and context for the production. Um, what a beautiful release. And then I'll end with, we're talking about Rene Claire, talking about Dreyer, we're talking about, um, uh, who's the other one, Adam, that you were talking about? The um, Directors that don't get their due. Uh, Renoir. Renoir. So Flickr Alley put out a amazing box set. This I don't know if they put it out this year or if it was, I think it was early part of this year. But it's five discs of a lot of Julien de Vivier's films from the 20s. Um, it has a ton of his movies, both features and shorts, um, uh, of a huge booklet. Uh, video introductions. It has nine new features that were created. Uh, it's kind of like video montages or video appreciations, they're called. Um, and they go through how the painstaking restoration process, they worked with the Cinematheque Francaise, they worked with um, Lobster Films, they worked with um, CNC. Anyways, they, worked, they, they just were all over the place in terms of this is a real labor of love for silent cinema and for early cinema. And um, I wanted to give some love to the work Flickr Alley's doing because they kind of fly under the radar. People say they're too expensive. And like, I get it on both accounts. They, they put out movies that aren't really on the tip of everybody's tongue. And they asked people to pay 40 bucks for it. So I get it. Um, but the work they're doing as far as the, restoring the, the early films, is, uh, I, I just want to call out and throw some love their way because it's it's second to none. Uh, so last up then, we're just going to just talk about our sort of favorite segments, I suppose. Uh, Chris, you might want to do this a little bit different to how me and Zach are going to be doing it. You've obviously been running all the interviews. So if you want to give out, you know, interview, you know, particular interviews that you enjoy doing, you know, in this segment, you can do so as well. Cool. Uh, I'm just going to just call out a couple of films that I watched for the first time this year that we talked about on the podcast that have really kind of stuck with me, uh, both as films and then also the discussion around them. Uh, the first one just to give a shout out to which technically I didn't watch it for the first time for the podcast but I watched it for the first time this year and then it happened to be picked for the podcast uh, and that was The Hitchhiker uh, we obviously talked about that one recently phenomenal film um, if it didn't end up in this segment it probably would have been in my top five of the year anyway uh, I just didn't want to have it twice in the one segment so I just moved it to this one instead Uh Phenomenal movie, amazing film. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much more to be said. Obviously, we had a, a whole episode about this recently. If listeners, you didn't get a chance to listen to the uh, Women Make Noir episode we brought out a couple of weeks ago, please, please give it a listen. Really intriguing discussion around uh, this this sort of film noir and Anaida Lupino, the director. Uh, another film we watched that was really enjoyable and had good discussion was Babylon. Uh, we had paired Babylon with Ali Furitz the Soul. It was cool to have discussion about, you know, race relations and things like that. Um, uh, Babylon was, was a really great film that we watched as part of a, a film club. I think it was your week, Chris, if I remember correctly. 
in yeah, in the so. film club um i think you put a few of those uh a few of uh, those kind of films in the reggae films i believe mm-hmm. um was your theme uh, that was a, a great film and we had some great discussion about it and another one that i enjoyed was ghost dog um again really really groovy film really cool mm-hmm. film uh jim jarmusch a cool guy he doesn't always hit with me um as we found out when we talked about another jim jarmusch film uh, I think this one was last year, though, when we talked about uh, what was the one where they're stuck in jail? Is that day for now? Down by law. Down, Down by, by law. law. Yes, that's the one. Uh, didn't didn't that one didn't hit me as good, but uh, yeah, ghost uh, ghost dog was, was fantastic. And then just a bonus. Obviously, I didn't watch this for the first time this year, but I'm just going to give a shout out to uh, our Vertigo discussion from the start of the year. Um, I was very surprised about Chris's reaction to Vertigo. I was expecting <laughs> us all to have a really nice discussion about how great it is. So that's that's also another one um, that I think we just had great discussion on, as well as it obviously being the best film ever made. I don't care what Chris says. Um, or sight and sound. Yes, exactly. Um, then just some of the least favorite films I watched this year. Uh, sorry, Chris, two of these three are your picks. Uh, the Orphic Trilogy. Um, <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, Orpheus. I I don't mind Orpheus, the middle one. Uh, I I don't mind that. I that's fine. Uh, for all, by all accounts. Uh, but the first and the, the the first and the second are tedious. Um, sorry, Zach Battle Heater. I just oh, how could it. you? How could you do that to me? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just have no idea what that film is. I, yeah, I have no time for it. Sorry. And then. <laughs> The last one again is one of Chris's picks, and it—I forgot we had even watched it. I don't remember anything about it, but I remember it being an absolute slog. And that's Sigur Nervison, or yeah, that one. We watched Uh, something really good with that. Was that Rainy Dog? Was that when we watched that? No, that was we paired that with um, Long Day's Journey into Night. Oh, okay, okay. That was actually my pick on uh, the club. That was your pick, was it? Yeah, yeah, that was my pick on the club, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you would pick, like, modern films or something like that. I think that was your theme. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Chris picked Zigurna Weissen to pair with it, if I remember correctly. Isn't that he did. Right? Yeah, he yeah. did. That was, that was, <laughs> that was when, we were, when we were experimenting with that before we got to our format now. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, those are, from what I, I was just quickly just sort of going through the list of episodes we've put out this year, and, yeah, those uh, are ones I will never be revisiting for the rest of my life. I've seen Orpheus twice now. I will not be seeing it a third time uh, along with the other two in that series. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, you go ahead, Zach. I just want to say Zagorna Weissen and Orpheus just barely missed out on my least favorite. So no, or, or the or the Orpheus trilogy, <laughs> I should say. So no love lost there. I appreciate y'all taking these experiments with me. Um, mine's actually pretty quick. I, I did just kind of one and one. Um, for mine, and funny enough, my favorite and my least favorite are on the exact same episode. <laughs> okay. um, but before I get to that, I will actually give a shout out to uh, Day of the Outlaw. That's a very recent one, but I loved our discussion for that. That one was a lot of fun and probably mm-hmm. one of the best movies we've seen this year. Um, and I don't be happy to know that the other one that I picked is another one of his picks, which is Mulholland Drive. It was not the first time I had saw it this year, or uh, first time I had saw it, but it was... Uh, it's always great revisiting. It's always fun to talk about what the hell that movie's about and still come to the end where nobody knows what that movie's about. But that's okay. That's fine. Um, just it's it, Lynch is 
weirdly getting a lot more love on this episode than I thought he would. I think he's been mentioned like three or four times now. So that's been nice and consistent. The one we paired with that was, uh, I might get the title wrong. It's like last days in Marin bad. Last year, last year in Marion bad phenomenal film. I will not have Marion bad. I will not have Alain Rene slander on this podcast. Phenomenal (laughs) film. Pretentious and boring. (laughs) Wait, so can I say that in my head, I was trying to guess y'all's picks. Zach, that was the one I guessed for you. <laughs> it, it'll make you feel better. I can just choose Fat Girl. It was so bad that it's on this list this year, too. It's just that much. <laughs> Trauma never ends from Fat Girl. It follows <laughs> year by year. Uh, you can put images. You can go back at them and put images in yours. Ah, uh, fuck that film. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll get a little little sentimental. I mean, look, three three years ago, I um, before long before we had the podcast, I, I went on to Reddit seeking a, a a virtual film community, hoping to find some discussion there. I know people give Reddit a hard time for being, you know, the bowels of the internet, but uh, I met y'all there, and uh, I've I've met some other folks that that I get to do basically what I set out to do. I I, I can't. You know, I feel very lucky. My job is is the very typical like um, uh, day job where I, I I do it for to to be able to live and and the money's good. But um, there's very little creativity and imagination in the work, and so like this outlet for me has been amazing. And I just I want to thank y'all for. Are we? I know we're at two years now for sure, right? Are we at? Um, is it over two years or is it right we under? We started in December of 2022. Of 2020. Okay. If I remember correctly. Okay. Yeah. So it's around two years. I can get right you around. the exact date the first episode came out if you give me two seconds. If you want to finish your point, yeah. I'll tell you the, the date the first episode came out in the meantime. Yeah, I just feel lucky that I get to do this. I mean, I think we're 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 consistently over somewhere between a hundred to two hundred listeners. We've crossed thirteen thousand in total. Like this is exactly what we kind of hope to do. So thank y'all for everybody who's listening. Thank you. Um, I, I do want to try to find a way to engage, um, y'all more. I, I would really, really love to know who's listening. Um, we have a subreddit called they live by film r slash they live by film. Um, uh, like if, the, if you can find a way to engage and just tell us the ones you hate and the ones you love, um, it would mean a lot. Cause I, I, I just, this is a lot of fun for me. So I, I, I appreciate y'all. Um, what did you find the date? Yeah. Um, actually, is this an American or European format? Surely it's in European format. It's in American format? Fucking hell. Uh, 11th of December, 2020. So we are literally just gone past the two-year mark. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, anyways, so thank you all. And um, there, there, there's two parts to that. There's the movies, there's the discussions. I, I loved our discussion on Mikey and Nikki episode, um, and then um, Hitchhiker, right? That was the it was the women make noir. Yeah, um, that was my that was one of my favorite discussions. Um, I I think you know if I think about my least favorite, that's also one of my favorite, but for a different reason. Um, yeah, I, I think I could have chosen either movie. I went with Mikey and Nikki just because. I think I, I gave an impassioned defense of that movie to y'all uh, at the time, and I, I continue to, to we'll try to you know proselytize for that film. I just think it's fantastic. Um, and then my least favorite would probably be Cure for Wellness. Sorry, Zach. Um, 
that movie's oh, I dumb. I forgot about that one. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was also a really fun episode. I, I like, I you know, I, I hope, I think this comes out implicitly, but I want to say it out loud. Like, I like the fact that we don't all agree. I think it's very important. And I always feel like this is a safe place to save her to go sucks. Um, and like, we have an honest and like interesting discussion about it. And so I, I really do appreciate that. Yeah, um, I do like when one of us doesn't like something. This, which is why my next round of picks, spoiler alert, is going to be some Goddard movies. Oh, God. <laughs> Sweet. Um, and, and just keeping in that spirit, then very quickly, the, the favorite guests. I mean, talk about choosing between children. I, you know, I was like, oh, man, how am I going to possibly do this? So, so the way that I did it, I'll just quickly go through this for um, from a physical release perspective. It's hard to say anybody in this street does it better than Indicator. So the conversation we had with Anthony uh, Neald over at Indicator probably was my favorite just from getting time with the mind uh, behind these physical releases that are just everything they do is so good. It's almost boring. If that makes sense. Like it, the quality is so consistent, so high. Uh, it, it's, it's almost become expected and mundane, which is just the, the ultimate compliment, even though it doesn't sound like that. Um, the universal noir release they just put out and the Robin hood release they just put out. I mean, everything from the artwork they get to the special features, to the historical context, just unbelievable, unbelievable work. And so, uh, it was fun to talk to the best. My favorite curator in the game today, now that I know the part of Arrow that I like the most, and uh, now that he's break, branching off on his own, I think nobody curates better than Fran Simeone right now in terms of content. So that discussion that just dropped, actually, we're recording on the 18th. It just dropped on the Friday, on the 16th. Um, listen to that if you haven't. It's really cool. I took a different approach because Ryan over at Disconnected did a film by film breakdown that was, I mean, I wasn't going to do better than that. It's a really good episode. Um, so I took a different approach and got to know Fran, the person. Um, and I just kind of dug into like, how do you get that encyclopedic knowledge of film? Like, how do you become Fran Simeone? Um, and he, he just was very honest and candid about what he did at different stages of his life. And um, I, I love the, I love the conversation. Um, I think uh, that very quickly, Agfa is going to be one of my favorite interviews, just because I feel like spiritually, if I had a if I had a label that I would like to start, it would probably be Agfa. I love what the work they're doing in, in something weird. I love the work they're doing. Uh, they just put out that beautiful new release of Bat Pussy, uh, which is funny to say out loud, um, but they they really honestly care about these like regional films um, and. Uh, it's a nonprofit, so it's kind of fun to support. And then the the last one I'll say is that, you know, we have all these streaming options now. And it's cool to hear Joey Lung over from Terracotta Distribution. He's trying to start, or ha, sorry, has started, although right now it's only in Region B, but has started a streaming site specifically for Asian films. So as he builds that, it's going to be a one-stop online shop well, one-stop streaming service, I guess, for uh, the different countries in Asia, the different genres. Um, and he's, he's built it up into something that uh, is, is already exciting, but 
will continue to get better as he works with um, rights holders to get more and more on the platform. So those are the, the four that I'm going to choose, although I did honestly love them all. Awesome. So I think that's going to wrap up uh, our, our 2022 wrap up episode. Uh, as Chris said, thank you to everyone for, for even listening to us. Uh, none of us kind of expected when we first started doing this two years ago that we'd be getting hundreds of listeners tuning in to listen to us uh, squabble over movies every week. So yeah, to everyone's listened, thank you so much. Uh, as Chris said, the subreddit is there. It's in the link in the description. Uh, come and engage with us. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes. If you know you want us to do more of a particular type of episode, even just come and let us know. We'd love to engage with you guys a little bit more. Um, so that's that's 2022 wrapped up. Um, we're gonna take a this, this episode is due to drop, so you'll be listening to this on the 30th. Uh, so we'll be back uh, in the new year with more discussions, more interviews maybe even a little bit different uh in, in terms of special one-off episodes and things like that um do we want to tell our listeners do we, oh we already did this didn't we yeah we already told our listeners what the first uh normal episode is going to be um do you want to give a reminder chris just so um in case people didn't get a chance to hear the very end of the last episode oh yeah 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 for sure um let me see let me uh i can remember now myself um Hold on, I have it up right here. I always write it down because from week to week, I, I forget. So we are going to start, um, I, I kind of joked, or not not even joked, no, I said it sincerely, you know, this there's some ex experimental nature to this of what we do, and, I, and I'm always trying to to push into new, new genres and new regions. So we haven't had a purely um, African cinema episode, and uh, I was kind of inspired by... Um, some discussions I, I'd heard uh, around some Senegalese films, spe specifically from Usman Semben. So I dug into that a little bit and found uh, two films um, from a different director, uh, not not Usman Semben, but another Senegalese director. Uh, and uh, it's Tuki Buki and then his film Hyenas. So we, we can do that and, and have an interesting discussion around uh, Western African uh, cinema, French cinema. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. So I don't know exactly when it'll drop, but probably the second week of January, but can't wait. Awesome. For now, guys, we'll see you then. Have a happy new year. Happy new year.